For the next uh, two mornings, we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5. This is a week that's talking about life in the Holy Spirit. And Galatians 5 has these these two, in a way, bookend uh, imperatives. Walk in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. As a matter of fact, in the second half, to, the sec- second half of the chapter... Paul mentions the Holy Spirit five times. And in this, we see a lot about life in the Spirit. You see, if, if, if we recognize the perfection of God, the holiness of God, the beauty of God, and then we see our own imperfections and the issues where our life is not in alignment with the life of God, then we begin to realize we cannot simply will ourselves uh, from unholiness to holiness, from imperfection to perfection. And so everything begins to center around how I'm responding to or relating to the Spirit of Christ who has become the divine resident in my life, within the, within the boundaries, within the walls of my life. He, he has taken up residence. So let's read this passage. It's chapter 5. It starts at verse 16. I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So here's a passage that says, if you're gonna, if you're gonna live the Christian life, you're gonna, you're gonna experience conflict within yourself. The Spirit, when He begins to work in your life, starts to make you feel dissatisfied with yourself. That's part of the conflict. You look at things that you formerly thought that you used to do and you, you can't be satisfied with those anymore. And this is the conflict that Paul is talking about, the conflict between the Spirit of Christ residing in you and the flesh, which in many ways was your connection and is your connection to your former life. In the NIV, it says it this way, the flesh desires... What is contrary to the spirit and the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. 
It's a conflict going on between flesh and spirit. In our devotional today with the Christian Missionary Alliance, Kelvin Walker, our district superintendent, writes about surrender and the difficulty of surrendering to the Spirit. In a way, that's exactly what this is talking about. Do I surrender? Do I yield myself to to the desires of the flesh in order to get my needs met? Maybe this is very unconscious, but what happens in life is you have emotional, you have physical, you have spiritual needs that don't go away and they have to be met. But the question is, will they be met in the flesh or will they be met in the spirit? Now, what does Paul mean by flesh? Well, he doesn't simply mean the body, nor does he simply mean the body the appetites of the body or the desires or needs of the body, but it certainly includes that. But he goes a little bit deeper than that when he talks about the flesh. John Stott says it this way. The flesh stands for what we are by natural birth. The spirit for what we are by new birth. The birth of the spirit within us. These two, the flesh and the Spirit are in sharp opposition to one another. So when you become a Christian, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You are born again, regenerated by the Spirit. And then from the moment you are born again, the Spirit begins to work from the inside out. And this comes into opposition or conflict with our old way of getting our needs met. See, the difference is striking. And and it is, what will be the source of my life? Will satisfying fleshly desires be the source of my life? Or will yielding and surrendering to the Spirit and His desires for me, will I trust Him enough? Will I trust God's word enough? Will I trust God's work in my life enough that I believe that I will have abundant life if I reject the flesh and instead I yield to the spirit? Well, what we're talking about here is that the flesh is a disordering of how I source my life. These bodily desires, these appetites, Uh, are a way of trying to get legitimate needs met, but they're illegitimate or contrary to to the law of God or contrary to the Spirit of Christ in my life. And so the Spirit is working on all these areas where I was formally connected to things that are, are disordered. Now, what, what Paul is making clear in Galatians chapter 5 is that the conflict is really in the arena of how I satisfy my needs. But it really has to do with the mechanism of desire in my life. See, he says the desires of the spirit are now at war with the desires of the flesh. And if I gratify, in other words, if I I go to the flesh to satisfy, instead of going to the spirit to satisfy then I'm losing the battle. I'm not living in my new 
identity. I'm not living in my new nature. I'm not drawing from my new connection to the resources of heaven and the resources of God. Rather, I'm, I'm drawing from those old earthly, old fleshly resources. Now, the word desire, obviously, here, is a neutral word because the spirit desires for you, but also your flesh desires. So, a desire can certainly be used in a positive way, and, and to just kill desire is not the goal here. Here's the thing. When it comes to the flesh, what Paul is saying is the flesh doesn't just desire food and drink or relationships. The flesh over-desires. And, and if you, I mean, if, if you know yourself well enough, you know that there are places where your desires are healthy, where desires work fine. But then you have these places where you begin to over-desire. If I don't have this, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get depressed. If I don't have this, I'm going to get so angry. And you, and you begin to realize it's not the neutrality of desire. It's an, it's an inordinate desire. It's a desire that's controlling you. It's a, another way to look at it is it's desire in overdrive. And see, the thing is here, this isn't... <laughs> This isn't simply an over-desire for something that's bad. See, if you desire something's bad, then the desire itself is bad. And there's just no rationalization. There's no, no way to look at that except to say that this is, this is sin. But what, what Paul's getting at is something even more subtle. And this is that when you begin to desire something good, but it becomes an over-desire, it becomes out of order desire and it disorders your heart to make something good a source of life or another way to put it is you may, you take something good and you make it ultimate that's you see in some ways i mean we can look at the we can look at the bad desires and go that's a bad desire but the truth is anybody can do that what really, in, in so many ways, changes the Christian into a victorious Christian is when you even look at your good things and say, those will never, I will not allow those to be over-desires. I will not let something good become something ultimate. Because, you, again, you, you, you can see, I've seen Christians, seen myself, praying to God, for my over-desires. Oh God, if I don't get this job, oh God, this this relationship, this friendship, this this house I need, you know, you start, and, you, and, and it's not just that you desire it, but you have to have it. Yeah, everything depends on this. That's an over-desire. And that's really what, this is what Paul is talking about, that the flesh not only desire, you know, none just desire the bad things, and I can say, oh, that's, that's flesh. But the flesh desires good things to make them ultimate things. So the Spirit has to unpack that for you. He has to untangle. Because it's very easy to say, well, God, all I want, I just want something good. I remember in the early days of my ministry as a pastor, I was utterly obsessed 
uh, with being successful. I was utterly success at, obsessed with doing everything I, need, I needed to do to make people happy. And I, I remember going to God in prayer and saying, God, why are you making me more successful? God, why, you know, why is this such a struggle? And I, uh, again, I, I didn't know it was like this, it was the Spirit of God prompting me in those days. I didn't understand how he uh, revealed and made his will known. But I can tell you this is the, it became clear to me that the church was not, it was not a desire, it was an over-desire. Success was not a desire, it was an over-desire. And I was frustrated with God for not giving me my desire. And I would use language like this. Well, Lord, it's your church. I just want to reach people for you. I just don't want to see it grow for you. But see, really, I was, uh, I was trying to make God the means to my end, which was my success, which was for people to respect me, for people to love me, you know, to feel, to feel important, to feel like I had worth, to prove myself. All of these, these motives. Now, see, I wasn't doing something evil. I was pastoring a church. I was preaching the Bible. I was counseling people. I was trying to grow an organization. There was nothing wrong with what I was doing. The issue was I was doing it in the flesh, not the spirit. So you can even take something as good as doing ministry. And it becomes something you do in the flesh. And the Holy Spirit cannot tolerate that. He can't let that go on. He can't give success to your idolatry. Even if you're saying, well, my idolatry is something so good. And it's good for you, God. And God will not be the means to your end when your end is idolatry. And so it was, it was, it was a powerful lesson as, a, as somebody just coming into his 30s, late 20s, early 30s, that God would not give success to my idol, even if my idol was ministry or the church. Now, obviously, in Galatians 5, uh, Paul you know, wants to be practical here. And he's saying that, that one of the things that happens is that the law and the flesh escalate one another. And, and he's saying that the law and the flesh is no way to live. There's no life. Because what happens is the law will tell you, don't do this, and the flesh says, well, that's exactly what I want to do. <laughs> it's like when you're a kid and, you, and your parents tell you, you can't, you can't go in this room or you can't play with that. Or you can't, and, then, and suddenly it's the only thing you want to play with. Or, or, you know, I remember when my cousins, who were annoying uh, cousins, would come to visit us, and they would, uh, they would take toys that I hadn't messed with in a long time, you know, I didn't care about till my cousins had them. And suddenly, they were the only thing I wanted. And so you, you realize there's something in the flesh that is triggered by the law, is escalated. So if you tell me not to do something, it becomes the thing, very thing I want to do. Or the flesh can also keep the law and then tell everybody about how well I'm keeping the law so that I can feel superior to you. One of the, one of the things that the Apostle Paul makes really clear it's throughout his letters is his religious flesh was, was an over-desire. And so the way he had interpersonal relationships through his religious flesh 
was that if somebody was better than him, he hated them because they were better than him. If somebody was inferior to him and, and not committed to the law like he was, he disdained them. He had no time for them. So he competed with those who were better than him because he, he couldn't stand the fact that someone would be more committed, someone be, would be more knowledgeable. And, and, and what, what Paul is helping us to understand is that even the law, even the religious side of the flesh is destructive. And matter of fact, his list of 19 different manifestations of the flesh are all destructive. There's sexual uh, immorality, the use of your, your body and your, your, your sexuality in a way that God has not prescribed is a rebellion against God. It's a rebellion against the law of God. And escalate it by the more that you practice this kind of, of out-of-bounds sexuality, the more in bondage to it you become. He talks even about, you know, that people get trapped in religious idolatry. They get trapped in trying to get power with sorcery and, and trying to find some way to be powerful through false religion. And then he talks about these interpersonal relationship things that go awry where we have fits of rage because people won't do what we want them to do. We have divisions because we don't agree. And Paul just, Paul, and he says, and much more. <laughs> so you can take the 19, he says, and there could be plenty more. But he's, he, he's saying basically in every area of our life, by not understanding our flesh as a source of life, that flesh becomes a source of destruction in our relationships, in our own bodies, in our minds, our hearts. So you see, Paul is, in talking about the contrast here of life in the spirit versus life in the flesh, he's saying, one depletes you as a human being, destroys you, and never allows you to get to your destiny, though it makes your whole life about desire, fulfillment of the desire, but it masquerades as desire when it's actually over-desire. And then, he, you know, that's pretty powerful stuff when you start to think, when you think about all of this. Paul goes so far, and, and, and Paul is very blunt with things. In verse 21, he says, I warn you as I warned you before, those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So in our day and time, there are many people who are justifying, excusing things that are clearly manifestations of the flesh and saying, well, because I have this, this desire, because this desire is natural to me, therefore it must be that God wants me to live out of this desire. And Paul says, no, do you understand that those who practice these things, those who can do these things without struggling and who give in without struggle, that it very well could be that you're not inheriting the kingdom of God. This is serious business. Paul is really saying a life dominated, sourced by the flesh can have no assurance of salvation. Now, don't go too far with this. 
He's not saying these sins cannot be forgiven. He doesn't mean that at all. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says a number of these sins again, but then he says these folks will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, and such were some of you because you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. This is why... This is really why we can never get the order reversed. I'm right with God because I'm holy is utter perversion of the gospel. It'll never work that way. I'm right with God because of the righteousness of Christ. I mean, if even in your struggles, if you can go back to the base, I was so evil. But you see, you have to admit that these things are evil. You have to acknowledge these over-desires are not going to be your life anymore. I was so evil, Christ had to die for me. Because all of these sins of the flesh, they're right there in every human being. I'm so evil, Christ had to die for me. But I am so loved that Christ chose to die for me. And the Father has chosen to include me in the covenantal boundaries of his love, because I am in Christ, I am loved as Christ. And so when I see these things and I see what I have in Christ, then I I should recognize that even though these desires still war against me, I have a new, I have a new desire. See, if you have a desire for holiness, you didn't come up with that. That's at least the beginning of the flame of the Holy Spirit in your heart for godliness, for wholeness, for the fruit of the Spirit to be manifest in your life. So yes, there is a war going on inside. It's a war against sin. It's a war against the flesh. In verse 24, Paul says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified. You see that word? Crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's those over-desires. Now, of course, this is pretty strong language, right? (laughs) Crucifixion was scandalous in Paul's day, and yet Paul is not only pointing us to the crucified Christ, our Messiah, but he's he's, he's calling us into crucifixion. And so, in a way... This is one of the worst forms of execution that has ever existed. And this is the term that Paul says we are to do with our flesh, crucify our, our flesh. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their flesh with its passions and desires. So crucifixion, crucifixion was a long drawn out process. And in many ways, that's what it feels like when we're dealing with our sins, with these over-desires. It is a often, uh, you know, a gradual sort of desire, a gradual sort of death of that, those over-desires. So in crucifixion, you would weaken the person on the cross until they had lost all their power, they lost their blood, they lost their strength, and they could no longer keep themselves alive. In a way, Paul is saying, that these desires must be suffocated. They must lose their power. They must lose their blood. 
they must lose their hold over you. That's what it seems like. You know, if you think about what crucifixion was, that's what the Spirit is asking you to cooperate with in this execution of sin in your life. John Stott is uh, one of my, it's one of the guys I love to read, and he, he says it this way. It's pitiless, painful, and decisive. It was pitiless. It was reserved for the worst of criminals. See, until you really realize that these desires are the worst of criminals, you will not be pitiless. You will make room for them. You will not surrender to the spirit. You will surrender and keep surrendering to the flesh. It has to be pitiless. It was painful because, of course, execution through torture, in other words, it's going to hurt to dismiss the old way of satisfying your desires and to come into a new way of sourcing your life in the spirit. It's difficult, painful, but it's decisive. It's a decisive act so that once someone was nailed to the cross, they didn't come down again. It was a death sentence. And that's what Paul says is to be done with the flesh. It's a death sentence on our sin. Now, now here's an interesting thing as we look at this. And maybe this is theological, but it's important. Paul says, having put to death or having crucified. Now, here's how I understand this. Is that there is a, a faith step here. And there's a cooperative step. None of this is passive. See, in one way, you have to see that coming to Jesus Christ, you have died to self. Because self is no longer ultimate to you. Christ is ultimate to you. But in making Christ ultimate to you, you have united your future, your past, your present, to Jesus Christ. You have a union with Christ. And uniting yourself to Christ means that when he died on the cross, you died. When he rose from the dead, you rose from the dead. You're united with Christ that it, as he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. You are seated there. You have a new position. You have a new status. You have a new authority. You have a new identity. So, in a way, what, what, what has to be done before you even start dealing with all these issues of the flesh and their manifestations is you have to take this dramatic step and say, I am, like Paul said, crucified with Christ. Yet I live. <laughs> but not that life in the flesh, but the life that I have in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So there has to be in a way, okay, think deeply with me, that you have crucified sin with the capital S. But also you are committed now to crucifying sins with a small s. You are reckoning yourself because of your union with Christ, alive to God that your life your new desires, your new birth, all of this is who you are, who you already are, and who you will be forever. But you are still realistic and you're honest and you're realizing that there's still a mopping up action to be done 
in regards to the areas in which the over-desires have had their way with you and you are going back and you're taking back every ground that they have. So in a way, you see, if you don't, if you don't get that rock-solid commitment, I am crucified with Christ. It's a past tense. I was united with him on the cross. Then you won't real, you'll spend your whole life trying to get rid of little sins with a little s, and it will be incredibly frustrating. So the, the big thing, the big start is to say, wait a minute. I have had a severing of, of the flesh as my true identity, as my true source. Sin with a capital S no longer has dominion over me. But I am also committed to this conflict where the Spirit shows me sins with a little s, then we're going to crucify those too. We're going to put them to death. Um, one theologian helped me understand it with this picture is that when the Allied forces on D-Day went to take back Europe and they took the beaches and they invaded Europe, the German commander said, the war is over. Is he, the Germans understood that if the Allied could, Allies could land all their forces and defeat them at the beach, that the war was over. And many, many of the leaders understood, we have lost. But that didn't mean that they didn't have to fight battles all the way from the beaches of Normandy to the capital of Germany and Berlin. And there were casualties along the way. There were, there, were, uh, there were significant movements back and forth. But here was the thing. The end was inevitable. And in some ways, that's what you have to look at as a believer. Is that the victory has been won. Jesus has the victory. You and I are here with his spirit. Mopping up. Not the big sin with an S because Jesus has already paid the penalty. He's already blown out the power of sin, which is death and fear of death. And he's already assured you of an eternal home with him where you will be away from the very presence of sin. But he's asking you now from the beach to Berlin, will you, will you cooperate? Will you surrender? Or as my friend Calvin likes to say, will you say yes to the Holy Spirit? So our, our kind of our focus, our, our force in a sense, is this Galatians 5.25. It's a challenging verse. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. See, he's taking you to your ultimate victory. Christ has already won it. You've already seen the penalty of sin defeated. You've seen the power of sin defeated. The day is coming when the presence of sin will be completely wiped away from your life. But from here till then, he has given you the privilege of cooperating. And really and truly, it's what Kelvin said today in our devotional. It's surrendering to the Spirit. Because if we're going to, Paul said, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit.
So that requires that level of surrender. It means giving up control. It means no longer nourishing the over-desires of the flesh, but crucifying them and nourishing the desires of the Spirit. Willingly surrender to His leading. And every moment that you're surrendering to Him, He's pouring more and more of Himself, His power, His presence into your life. That's the empowerment that we need. So, again, I I know it's somewhat complicated, but it it really is a two-step process. The one is I have to see that sin with a capital S has been crucified in my life. And secondly, I have to participate, keep in step with the Spirit as sin with the small letter sin begin to appear and we mop it up. We gain victory after victory, but in order to do it, we're led by the Spirit. We keep in step with the Spirit. Not just more willpower, not just trying to be a better person, but truly being resourced by the Holy Spirit. You see areas right now that are out of step? Confess them. Surrender them again to the Spirit. Welcome. Because this is also faith. If if you ask for a fresh filling, he will give you an outpouring. Because that's, that's what he's committed to doing. Is your tendency to say no to God? Or is it to say yes? Is your tendency to nurture the flesh? Or is it to nurture the spirit? Whatever you nurture will be most powerful. This is important for us. Let's pray this together. Lord, I, I join with Uh, with our leader, our friend, Kelvin Walker, when he says, in all things, giving his yes to you. And, And that, we see that with what Paul's saying. Do we give yes to the flesh? Or do we give yes to the spirit? And though it is a conflict, though it is a struggle, we stand in the scriptural truth that says, if we crucify the flesh, we see this life in the Spirit. And that's what we want. Life in the Spirit. Life to the full. Life abundantly. Or as we go through the list of these manifestations of the flesh, these deeds of the flesh, we recognize that we often go back to rebellion. We often go back to the law. We often go back to things that cannot satisfy. Things that separated us from the kingdom of God. So we take it seriously today that wherever you're showing us that we're still sourcing our life from the flesh, we come that it might be crucified and that the spirit life might rise up in us afresh, pour out on us afresh all that you are, all that you have, Holy Spirit, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thanks for being with me today.